Father, again, I want to thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. And Lord, I thank you for speaking to me as I prepared for this time because it has been a good while waiting to try and determine what was going on. And, and I thank you that you saw fit to show the physicians. And Lord, I'm depending on you to do your will. And I thank you for the peace that you gave me and the peace that I have. And I, I, I commit and commend everything to you. And Lord, as we talk about waiting on you tonight, I just want you to help me to bring it home in such a way that every individual under the sound of my voice will be able to connect in some which way or form, recognizing that waiting on you doesn't always be the easiest thing for us to do. So thank you for teaching us to wait on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. There are many, many troubled hearts today among the believers and uh, I believe even in a group this size there are hearts that have been troubled and is still being troubled for whatever reason. It is also known as the faithlessness. Faithlessness. And, and all of us have a little of it. Um, we differ in whatever it is that, that we do. But some of us more than others. In this Psalm 27, verses 1 to 3, the psalmist expresses trust in Yahweh. And he shows us that he will provide victory against his enemies. Secondly, in verses 4 through 6, he then expressed his desire to dwell in Yahweh's presence in the temple. Repeating his belief that Yahweh will give victory. And verses 7 through 12, he petitions Yahweh to hear his cry, to guide him, to deliver him from all of his enemies. And fourthly, in verse 13 through 14, he then expresses his confidence in Yahweh and the 
and encourages others to wait on him. I had already prepared a verse by verse of the whole 14 verses and uh, knowing the time that I would have, I changed everything and I'm not going to do it verse by verse. I, 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 I take another uh, look at this and, and I said, let me see if I can get more out of it by just looking at some appropriate scriptures to go along with this. As I indicated, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The key point for me here is Yahweh is my light. No matter how dark it is, or no matter how dark it might seem to you, where Yahweh is, is always light. But we see Yahweh here as being our guiding light in the dark when we don't know where we are going we can stretch out our hands and recognize that Yahweh will take us where we need to go so we recognize then the presence of the guiding light of our Lord, Yahweh. But the key verse that I am looking at this evening is verse 14. This is where the text is. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. When we do this, Yahweh will strengthen our hearts. I looked at a word that I thought I could use to connect all of us with where we are today. All of us have seen a car being towed or was even towed by someone at some point in our lives. There are three different areas that you may find yourself in if you're being told. You may be at a point where you can turn your ignition on, but the motor doesn't start. So you don't have power steering. So someone can come along with a rope and connect your vehicle to theirs and tow you, but you are at the mercies of the person in the front of you. You've got to go where he or she goes. You agree with me? But there is another area in towing, and the word 
that I'm looking at is toe. You can find yourself where you were in an accident and the whole front of your vehicle is total. So at this point, you need a wrecker. He comes, he hooks up the car to the wrecker, and he pulls you along on two wheels. You have no control then. The tow truck is in control. But there is even another one. This time, you are total, and the tow truck comes, he takes up what's left and rests it on the top of the tow truck, and he carries it and sells the parts. And sometimes in our lives, we might find that we feel somewhat in the same position. We are no longer in control of what's happening. And that is the time when you need to learn how to, well, you should have learned over the process how to wait on God because that's a very difficult time to learn then to wait on God. So the word that I'm choosing tonight is T-O-W. Let's look at the first letter, T. And I, again, this is where we begin. We begin by trusting God. You cannot or you will not get anywhere unless you trust the person who is pulling you along, who is carrying you along. If you decide to go to the left and he's going to the right, you're not going to get very far. Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Point number one. You got, if you want to enjoy safe pasture, you've got to trust God. In other words, you... You must be prepared to go where he leads you. But verse 4 sends us or brings us a little closer still. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we trust, which is necessary if you're going to delight in the Lord. You agree with that? You, you've got to trust him if you're going to delight in him. So you will and should delight yourself in the Lord. And he says he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, he will put in you what he wants you to have. And you will have it. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 5 takes us even closer. He says, commit, trust, delight, now commit. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will do what? 
Well, the next verse explains it. Verse number 6 of Psalm 37. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. It's not you. It's not your goodness. It's not your righteousness. It's God's righteousness. And he will make this happen. But it goes on. The justice of your cause like noonday. That is when there's no cloud in the sky. The sun is shining in its brilliance at noonday. He says that is how he will make the justice of your cause to be like, like noonday. But still, there is another point before we move on from here. Verse 7 says, and I quote, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Number one, you need to be still before the Lord. But you need to wait patiently also. I mean, we can say that we are waiting and we are walking up and down and asking God, what are you doing, Lord? Why are you taking so long? What's going on? You can become miserable waiting. But he says that we need to wait patiently for him. Don't fret when men succeed in their ways. And you hear what it says? It says in their ways, not in God's ways. Don't fret when you see people around you seeming to succeed. Everything they touch seems to turn to gold. Don't, don't allow that to fool you. Keep your eyes on the Lord. When they are carrying out their own wicked schemes, and, and believe it or not, David had this problem, you know. He said that he thought it was a waste of time until he went into the house of the Lord and saw it from God's perspective. He was looking through the eyes of men. And he saw the wicked prospering. But when he went into the house of the Lord, he saw it from God's perspective. And he recognized that they are flourishing today and they are gone today. So, the first word is trust. The second word is obey. Nor, in Genesis chapter 6 verse 22, God says, and I'm not going to argue with that, I'm, I, God says that nor did everything 
just as God commanded him. Ah, I, 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 there's nothing else I could add to that. Everything he commanded nor to do nor did. Did he ask them to get drunk? And they had to cover him. That's for another message. Chapter 7 verse 1 says, says, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you Righteous in this nation. Out of all that generation, there was one man in the sight of God found, he found to be righteous. There is another patriarch that I like to look at when we look at the obedience. You remember Abraham? Abraham had a vision. After many years of being promised a son, he went as a result of the advice of his loving wife to do something that I'm sure he regretted later on, and we are still regretting it. And Ishmael was born. But God says, that's, that's not the promised one. That's not the son I promise you. I promise you a son. God fulfilled his promise. But Ishmael was sent away. And one night, Abraham had a visit from God. He says, now, Abraham, I want you to get up. Take your only son. Isaac, and I want you to go and offer him up as a sacrifice to me. You know what I love about this? It says early the next morning. He didn't wait around to rehash it or discuss it with his wife. I don't think he discussed it with his wife because I believe with all my heart if he had told Sarah that I'm going to sacrifice our son, he would have to sacrifice her first. But He left early the next morning with his servants and he goes to the place where he's supposed to offer Isaac. And they get to the mountain and he says to his servant, you stay here while my son and I go yonder to worship. This must have been painful on the way up the mountain Isaac says to him, Father, I see the fire. I'm carrying the wood. Where's the burnt offering? What, what about, what are we going to sacrifice? You remember what the father said? God will provide. God will provide. Genesis 22, verse 9. says, 
When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached in, reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But then there was a voice from heaven. The angel said, don't do it. Now I know. Now, for me, that brings up a question, but it seems as if God had to put him through that in order for God to know. No, God always knew what he was going to do. That's why he chose him. But he had to bring it out of Abraham. Can you imagine a young boy, let's say he was about 12, 13, somewhere around there, just standing there and waiting to be bound? But he didn't say he gagged him. Could you imagine what would have been coming out of the mouth of our young son or daughter? Daddy, you lied to me. You said God had, but you always had it in your mind. To, that's not written anywhere in the Bible. But knowing our generation, that would probably come out of their mouth. But there is no indication that a word was spoken because he was representing the lamb without blemish. But God had his lamb caught in the ticket right there. But we notice something else. We notice two other patriarchs, Aaron and Moses. Remember in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God. To Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. They followed God's instruction. And it wasn't easy because that didn't happen overnight where they went in tonight and came out the next day. They had all kinds of problems, but they were waiting on the Lord. There is nothing that says while you're waiting on God, it's going to be smooth sailing. Nothing says that. Nothing. It could be a very difficult time as you wait on the Lord. You see, when we honor God, when we obey God, it can be a blessing or it can be a curse. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six 26 says, See, 
I am setting before you today a blessing and curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. Or the curse if you disobeyed, uh, if you disobey the command of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When we disobey God, he can do many things, but I like to zero in on one thing that he did. First Samuel chapter 15 verse 3. God rejected Saul as king in this chapter. This wasn't the first time that God gave him something to do and he disobeyed or he did what God didn't tell him to do. But this was the last time. And here is what it says. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Now that's pretty clear, won't you say? It's, let, let, me, let, let me read that again. It says, totally destroy everything that belonged to them. But just in case he didn't get it, he goes on. He says, do not spare them. Put to death men and women. This is hard for me, but God does all things well. Children and infants. And I'm not better than God. I don't know why I think that's so hard for me to see them destroy children and infants. But I, I feel there's something in me, but believe me, I can't come near to God. God says to do this, that's exactly what you should do. But he didn't stop there, you know. He says, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys, just in case you have any idea. Destroy everything. Well, he didn't do that, but according to him, he did. First Samuel 15, verse 19. We have the prophet coming and he asked a question. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you just try to grab everything that you thought was right for you, for your purpose? Why didn't you obey God? 
Here is his answer, verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites that had brought back Hagia. Their king. But he completely destroyed, but he brought the king back. But somebody has to carry the blame for the rest of it. I'm not going to take the blame, says Saul, for all of this. You see, verse 21 of 1 Samuel 15, the soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder and the best of what was devoted to God. He didn't say what he did with the rest of the stuff. He says he held the best and he devoted it to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. And listen to this. He didn't say to the Lord my God. He said to the Lord your God. Samuel's God. Not his God, because if he was God and Lord, he would have obeyed him. But he said, to your God. Because the relationship was gone. He didn't have the relationship. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offering and sacrifice as such as Obeying the voice of the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fire of rams. I don't know about you, but this spoke volumes to me as I prepared. And I believe all of us need to search our heart and find out what is it that God intended you to do that you are not doing. Maybe no one else knows but God. But that's who is important. He's the one that you have to answer to. Thirdly, we come the end of this chapter, Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord. Romans 8, 19 says, For the creation waits in eager, eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation waits. Not only you and I need to wait on God, but the whole creation is waiting. 
Romans 8 verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. I'd like to look at a, a few patriarchs again who I look at as ones who wait and David is one of those. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 13 Samuel finally got God's man. All the other brothers were brought before him except David, but finally David was brought. And verse 13 says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. What's the point? The point is, David waited 15 years after being anointed by Samuel before he was made king of Judah. 15 years. And then another seven years before he became king of Israel. You could say the Lord delivered him, liver Saul in the hands of David on several occasions. David didn't have to raise his hand. His men beg him, let me, let me. I, David, I'm not, he wouldn't feel a thing. I'll pin him. What, I'm only going to strike him once. He wouldn't know what hit him. So David said, no, 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 no. You don't touch the Lord's anointed. You don't do that. And he's running from this man, and he was anointed king. But he won't touch him. We are waiting for a new senior pastor. It's been some time, but we have seen longer waits. Let us, brothers and sisters, wait for the Lord's man. Let's not do anything that is going to bring dishonor to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's wait. And let's wait patiently. If we don't get him until whenever we get him, because I don't have a clue, because it's in God's hand. Let's wait patiently and honor God in the process. In Psalm 130, verse 5, it says, and I quote, Wait for the Lord. My soul waits.
And in his word, I put my hope. So we don't just wait and don't do nothing. We need to have a relationship. We need to spend time in his word if we are going to wait with patience. If not, I can guarantee you, we are going to become impatient. God, again, promised Abraham and Sarah a child, but they had to wait 25 years. God promised Noah there would be a flood, but it was a long time coming. But he was faithful to the call. God made Jacob wait 14 years for the wife that he wanted. He gave him one in seven years, but he didn't want that one. He had to wait another seven years before he got the one he wanted. Joseph had to wait a considerable time to see his father and his family. And he did not get back to his home until after his death. They carried his bones back to the promised land. The children of Israel had to wait for 430 years in Egypt before returning to the promised land. And believe it or not, that wasn't an easy 430 years. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that the Old Testament saints had to wait for us Gentiles before they could see the promised kingdom. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 39 and 40. For over 2,000 years, saints have been waiting for the Lord's return and the coming kingdom. Over 2,000 years. And it's to the point now where there are so many who don't believe he's coming back. But my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this evening. He is coming. And he is coming for you and he is coming for me. And we may have to go through the veil of death, but he's coming. But he could come tonight and rapture his church. I mean, that would be far better than going through what I'm expecting to go through on the third of this month. But Maybe that's the way he is taking me to get me where he wants me to go. And if that's the way, to God be the glory. Because he doesn't make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. And that's why I'm so confident that he is going to do what's right. 
Waiting is a part of the divine design for things. Waiting is not an accident. It's a purpose. When we wait, when God has us to wait, it's for a purpose. Maybe you are not ready. Lord, I may wait for that saint of mine and wife for longer than I really thought I could endure. But oh, I thank God that I survived. But that waiting was not easy. It is in time of waiting that for God that many have failed in their fate of obedience. Waiting is a form of adversity. A test of your fate and your endurance to see if you will endure. In closing, the Word of God says, Wait on the Lord, be strong, take heart in spite of what might happen. Wait on the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, it's not easy to wait. But we thank you that if we wait patiently, if we trust you, if we obey you and learn to wait, then we will reap the crown or crowns that you have for us who endure to the end. Thank you for the night. Thank you for these few moments that I had to share what I believe that you laid on my heart. Get glory for yourself. And as we leave this place but not your presence, go with us where we go, dwell with us where we dwell. And we will be careful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and the glory. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you very much.